You're listening to the Douglas Jacoby Podcast. Here we bring you some of the material found on Douglas's website in podcast form. We hope that as you listen, you are challenged to think about faith. Today, Douglas continues his series on clean. Now looking at Wealthy Shunammite's Child. For more on this episode, follow the link in the show notes to Douglas's website. Now here's today's teaching. You're listening to Podcast 21 in Clean. And today, we'll look at another Old Testament character. So this is Old Testament Character Study 64 and Clean, the second podcast in the reanimation subseries on the Shunammite's son. Yesterday, we saw how the prophet Elijah saved the life of the son of the widow of Zarephath. Today, we're going to look at a similar account involving Elijah's successor, Elisha. It's easy to confuse these stories. Sometimes I get them confused. This woman is probably younger than the widow of Zarephath. Her husband is still living. And in fact, he's out in the fields working, probably as a supervisor, since as we'll see, they are a wealthy couple. But even wealthy people have problems. They suffer tragedies and they need God. Perhaps the woman is the main character because the money came from her side of the family. I don't know. But at any rate, she eclipses her husband. Our text will be coming from 2 Kings 4 and 8, and so let's begin 2 Kings 4, verse 8. One day, Elisha went to Shunem, where a wealthy woman lived, who urged him to eat some food. So whenever he passed that way, he would turn in there to eat food. And she said to her husband, Behold now, I know that this is a holy man of God who is continually passing our way. Let us make a small room on the roof with walls and put there for him a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp, so that whenever he comes to us, he can go in there. We read that the prophet often passes through Shunem, although in this case, he's well, perhaps he's stopping there. At any rate, they have this relationship. The couple ups their game. Hospitality will now include a room a room on the roof. Now, that may sound strange. The, if you've been to the Holy Land, you know that the dry season is very long. The rains are usually stopping um, around April, May, and they don't start again until November, maybe late October. So for a huge part of the year, you could actually live on the roof. You wouldn't even need a ceiling. But either way, um, and I look at it more as, as an enclosure, they've provided him with the basics. It's not just a place to sleep. It also has a table, chair, and lamp. Sounds like he might be working there. At any rate, this couple, who is uh, known to us really because of the woman, uh, extend hospitality to him. They up their game. Now hospitality includes his own room. Makes me think of the guest room that Paul was hoping Philemon would provide in the little letter of Philemon. And we appreciate that. They're supporting his ministry. They're in a position to do so. And then, as today, such actions are important and appreciated. Continuing. One day he came there, and he turned into the chamber and rested there. And he said to Gehazi, his servant, call this Shunammite. When he had called her, she stood before him. And he said to him, say now to her, see, you've taken all this trouble for us. What is to be done for you? Would you have a word spoken on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? She answered, 
I dwell among my own people. And he said, well, what then is to be done for her? Gehazi answered, well, she has no son and her husband is old. He said, call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the doorway. And he said, at this season, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. And she said, no, my Lord, O man of God, do not lie to your servant. But the woman conceived, and she bore a son about that time the following spring, as Elisha had said to her. Wow. They are a giving couple. Elisha wants to reciprocate, to give them a precious gift for all of their kindness. And quite naturally, the woman cannot believe her ears. It reminds us of, you know, Sarah laughing at the thought that she would be pregnant at an advanced age and have Isaac, her son. She just can't believe her ears. Her dream of becoming a mother again, if she had a child before, which we don't know, or for the first time, perhaps, that dream was dead or it had lain dormant. But now the Lord is revivifying it. He's bringing it back to life. And of course, uh, barrenness is a big theme in the Bible. Just think of all the older women who were enabled to conceive, like Sarah and Elizabeth and actually quite a few others. This child, of course, wasn't conceived of the Holy Ghost. (laughs) Since the baby came a year later, she and her husband obviously took action sometime in the three months after Elisha made the promise, and apparently no later than three months. Continuing, when the child had grown, he went out one day to his father among the reapers, and he said to his father, oh, my head, my head. The father said to his servant, carry him to his mother. And when he had lifted him and brought him to his mother, the child sat on her lap until noon, and then he died. So this scene is a little bit later. They have the child. The child's old enough to speak. He's talking. Uh, Kids don't normally put sentences together until they're around two. Who knows? Maybe he's two, maybe he's three. Notice how the father delegates the care of his son to a servant and then to his wife. I'm wondering, was he overcome with worry? Was he just too busy with his work? Or was he a bit overconfident? Maybe he was concerned, but he thought, well, the medical complaint must be minor. For her, just imagine what it must have been like to watch your child slip away while while you're holding him in your lap. His life is slipping away. Losing a child, one of the most painful things any parent can possibly go through. And I know many who have lost children at all ages, from miscarriages uh, to to toddlers to school kids uh, uh, and, and, and beyond, to all kinds of different um, tragedies, whether it's car accidents, it could be suicide, a murder. These things happen, but he's dying in her lap. Losing a child, a child in the faith, is also extremely painful. You invested in someone. You poured your life into her or him, and things are not good. Uh, maybe there's dishonesty. Maybe there's some crushing tragedy, and, and the response is not spiritual, and that man or woman leaves the Lord. Many of you listening to this know that feeling exactly. In fact, that can make us at times not even feel like reaching out to others, to think, well, what's the chance that person's going to stick with it, you know, still be here um, five years from now? 
At any rate, there are many ways that we can experience pain. Well, then something really surprising happens. 21, she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door behind him and went out. And then she called to her husband and said, send me one of the servants and one of the donkeys that I may quickly go to the man of God and come back again. And he said, why will you go to him today? It's neither new moon nor Sabbath. She said, all's well. Then she saddled the donkey. She said to her servant, urge the animal on. Do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. So she set out and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. At this point, it seems the husband doesn't know that his son has died. Although I get the feeling he doesn't really want to know. I mean, the poor kid um, has this terrible uh, pain in his head. And then the kid disappears for several hours with his wife, uh, you know, in the presence of his wife. And then the wife is saying, we've got to go to the man of God. I mean, if that's not a pretty clear indication that there's something serious going on, what is? She actually lays the the boy on that uh, rooftop bed um, and and shuts the door behind him. So we're not going to do anything else with this child until we have the man of God back. Uh, The surprise is not that she turned to the prophet for help. The surprise is that she has completely bypassed her husband. Continuing, when the man of God saw her coming, he said to Gehazi, his servant, look, there is the Shunammite. Run at once to meet her and say to her, is all well with you? Is all well with your husband? Is all well with the child? And she answered, all is well. Some people could say, well, she's lying. I wouldn't call such a response a lie. It's just not the time uh, to to open her heart. She will very soon, though. When she came to the mountain to the man of God, she caught hold of his feet, and Gehazi came to push her away, kind of like the disciples trying to push uh, certain uh, children and adults away from Jesus uh, when he was very busy. Tries to push her away. But the man of God said, leave her alone, for she is in bitter distress, and the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. Well, Gehazi certainly seems clueless as to what's going on. And that includes her deeper emotional state. But then that's not so surprising because at first even Elisha doesn't know what's going on. He hasn't fathomed the situation. He knows it's important, though. It falls on the woman. It's her responsibility to alert them to the actual horror of the situation. She said, did I ask my Lord for a son Did I not say, do not deceive me? Well, that's all that's needed. Uh, Elisha knows what's happened at this point. And she's kind of thinking what life would have been like if she'd never had had the child. She's looking back at that question when she was skeptical and, and doubting and she was assured. And, you know, perhaps there's a hope that the prophet can do something, but maybe not. She's in tremendous pain. Elisha said to Gehazi, tie up your garment, take my staff in your hand and go. If you meet anyone, do not greet him. And if anyone greets you, do not reply and lay my staff on the face of the child. Now, Elisha is not saying be rude. You know, if someone says, hello, Gehazi, he could reply, but not the, not the kind of reply that leads to a meal together and spending the night. You got to keep going. Not, not rude, but 
not the normal obligatory 30-minute catching-up session. You know, how's your wife? How are the children? And so forth. Then the mother of the child said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So Elisha gives this instruction to Gehazi. And she says, well, wait a minute. I'm not going back with him. I'm with you. The woman will not leave Elisha. He's her lifeline. He's her connection with God, her source of hope. So he arose and followed her. So now you've got all three of them walking, although Gehazi goes on ahead and lays the staff on the face of the child. But there's no sound or sign of life. Therefore, he returned to meet him and told him the child is not awakened. Now, Gehazi simply doesn't have the spiritual power to bring back the child. It's kind of like the story of the, the nine disciples and the man who, with the demon-possessed son. The disciples weren't able to deal with it, but Jesus will be. When Elisha came into the house, he saw the child lying dead on his bed. So he went in, shut the door behind the two of them, and prayed to the Lord. Then he went up and he lay on the child. We read this yesterday. Putting his mouth on his mouth, eyes on eyes, hands on hands, stretched out himself upon him. The flesh of the child became warm. Then he got up again, walked once back and forth in the house, went up and stretched himself upon him. The child sneezed seven times and the child opened his eyes. No, I don't know what the significance of sneezing seven times is, but maybe there's some. So this child is resuscitated or reanimated. And Gehazi, back to him, Gehazi plays a bit of a role. He's still useful, even though he's quite a bit slower on the uptake than his master. Then Elisha summons Gehazi and says, call this Shunammite. So he called her. And when she came to him, he said, pick up your son. She came and fell at his feet, bowing to the ground, Then she picked up her son and went out. She has her life back. Her shattered dreams have been repaired. What a story. And it seems that that story is over. But then four chapters later, she reappears. And maybe rather than reading it, uh, I just tell you what's happened. Uh, There's, because of the famine, she had to, to move. She had to leave her land. And when she came back, she's in trouble. I mean, she... You know, everything she has has been taken. You know what happens in in depressed times. Uh, We get in debt and collateral is needed, is demanded, and it's a difficult situation. And they have enough of a good relationship, Elisha knows. And, well, certainly she knows who to turn to if she really needs help again. So she is um, uh, going to benefit yet again from, from the great prophet Elisha. And this takes place after chapter 5, where Gehazi had received leprosy of Naaman, but Gehazi is still quite busy doing stuff, just as busy as Naaman had been with his leprosy, which makes you wonder what kind of leprosy was it. And, and because, of the, because of Elisha and Gehazi, she's able to get her household, well, her household's already been restored, you know, the father, the mother, the son, but now it's her house, because it's people first and then things. What makes this story remarkable isn't the plot. It's not the persons. It's not even the reanimation. It's God. How about some application? Being healthy and whole isn't just an absence of impurity. Being healthy involves our key relationships and to a smaller extent, our possessions. Nothing is more important, though, than relationships. What relationships need restoring in your life? Like the woman We need to know what's out of place, where it hurts, what needs to be restored before we can feel clean and wonderful in God's presence. 
What will you be willing to do today to have a full, godly, wholesome life? Maybe it's speaking the truth the way she did. You don't have to be negative, but you can be real. Maybe you identify with the minor character, Gehazi, and you don't want to be like him, and I don't. And we need to pray for greater empathy, better at, become better at reading people's emotions. Maybe we need to be more like Elisha. He doesn't mess around. He's determined. He follows through, and people trust him. At any rate, there are many ways we can apply the story as we seek continual renewal from the Lord our God. We hope you enjoyed Douglas's teaching on clean. For additional notes and resources, be sure to check out Douglas's website in the show notes. The website has hundreds of articles, podcasts, and videos for you to access for free. You can also become a premium subscriber and gain access to thousands of online resources from Douglas's teaching ministry. Thanks again for listening.